Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. are listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg, and... And I'm Carmen DeVito. Uh, we're doing a little experiment here. I'm in Miami. Ah, ha, ha. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, I'm here. Um, I'm, I'm sitting under um, some kind of tree. James will explain what it is in a minute. Um, I'm here with James Jyler in Miami, um, and Alice... Why don't you yeah, so, let everyone know so how Car- we know James? Yeah, yeah. So Carmen um, took a road trip, and she's down in Florida, and we didn't want to miss, you know, the show. So we thought, let's bring the show to to Florida with her. So we looked up a very old friend of ours who we know from horticulture days here in New York, um, James Jyler. He worked with us at the Hort S- Society of New York, and he ran the horticulture program that was out at Rikers Island, which is the city prison. And he did that for several years. And um, James, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that program. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me here and uh, for joining me in in Miami. It's a long way from Avenue A, James. <laughs> yeah. If you can only see us now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing you on your atoll, right? <laughs> well, expand your horizons a little bit. We're uh, on a beach overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, uh, just, you know, minutes away from the beautiful Fairchild Tropical Botanical Garden and uh, kind of giving a, a botanical tour of uh, South Florida. Okay, great. Uh, Going back to New York City, I uh, for 10 years, I uh, helped create a program at Rikers Island working with uh, men and women inmates, uh, developing skills in horticulture, and uh, we had two acres of land with a greenhouse right on Rikers Island, which is the largest penal colony in the world, and we really tried to use horticulture as a way to redirect people's lives mm-hmm. and give them something productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you know, help make them uh, happy, good citizens uh, after many years of uh, tribulation in the criminal justice system of New York City. Right. And, uh, you know, and of course we had a transitional employment program, so people coming out of Rikers would end up uh, hopefully uh, working in $5 million penthouses installing <laughs> gardens or working right. in Madison Square Park in New York City or in the... Um, in the Green Branches uh, the, program, designing gardens at Library Gardens, my, exactly. my old job. And, 
Right. So, you know, the whole idea was that, uh, you know, we would take people who had no experience in, in working in gardens or what a garden was or where food came from, and uh, after, you know, their time of uh, in, imprisonment, they came out as, uh, you know, somewhat professional gardeners. Right. And uh, the idea was to show that they could make a living at it. Right. So, and, and you wrote a book, too, about um, other 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 prison and... and uh, other prisons, and you went around, right, you did a lot of interviews to other prison systems? Well, yes, and the, and the book is called uh, Doing Time in the Garden. Right. And it's a full kind of uh, really a, a narrative experience about, about uh, what we did on and off Rikers Island and explored other kinds of programs, you know, around the country and the history of, of horticulture as it relates to uh, prisons. And, uh, you know, and to this day, it's, it's somewhat successful in providing avenues of inspiration for programs all around the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I can say so hotly. And you, uh, and James, you're, you started um, a program here in Miami, uh, Urban Greenworks. Uh, James is now the executive director, and why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing here in horticulture? Well, you know, I, I basically took our model from Rikers Island and slapped it into uh, South Florida. Now, the prison system is very different down here, but, uh, I ba- you know, I, I created a new program in a, in a South Florida prison, and then I created another program in a drug rehab center and some other programs in the community because we really feel that uh, the only hope we have is to break this cradle-to-pipeline uh, this this uh, pris- uh, cradle to pr- pipeline prison um, system where people from a very young age are on a track for prison. Right, right. And so we need we 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 try to pre you know uh, uh, intervene at many different steps along the way. So I have a, a program where I work with young adults from eighteen to twenty five, where we've built a beautiful plantation for food production in an underserved neighborhood in um, Miami. And uh, we are actually working to create food security in many of these underserved neighborhoods by showing you can grow food year-round in beautiful, tropical Miami. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to build as many gardens as possible in abandoned spaces and turn them into productive food sources for underserved communities. And I can do that with... You know, people that are recovering from serious addiction and uh, that you know, are remanded by the courts to be in this drug rehab program, but we put them to work and we teach them. So, how so many... it's very similar to what we were doing in New York, except uh, the plants that we use are different uh-huh. and the weather is certainly different. And you can and do it year-round. Yeah, and you can do it year-round. Uh-huh. Exactly. How many gardens do you have, James? Uh, right now we have about, I mean, uh, apart from the private residential gardens that we're building, uh, in terms of large-scale gardens, um, I have several uh, for the Miami-Dade College system. We have a culinary garden for the Miami-Dade College Culinary School. We run the um, Miami-Dade College Green Urban Living Center, which is a native as well as uh, urban food production garden. We have a plantation where we're growing the superfood moringa. We have over 60 moringa trees that we're growing in an abandoned lot 
in, a, in an abandoned billboard lot uh, mm-hmm. that we've integrated it with. We have bees, honey production, we have chickens, uh, we have uh, a mixed fruit orchard of mangoes, avocado, star fruit, um, wow. and, then a, and then, of course, the moringa. And then we have a lot of arugula production because arugula is very easy to grow here, and yet it goes for $7 a pound. So right. we're looking to fulfill you know, the needs of fresh produce that's locally produced in Miami. Are you working with um, any restaurants, James? Am, I'm sorry, am Are, I working with who? Restaurants? Yes, we supply restaurants. In fact, uh, we, were just, we were just offered uh, uh, by Fairchild Botanical Garden. They just opened a new cafe, and they want to buy produce from us. Um, we are organic. We are locally produced, and we work with you know, an interesting group of people. So we have all the ingredients for a good, um, to be a good, sound producer of local food for Miami restaurants. Wow. And it's surprising, Alice, having been here a few days, yeah. one of the things that I noticed is that you would think, you know, I, my assumption was that with a 12-month growing season, fresh produce at reasonable prices would be really easy to come by, you know? Right. And actually, you know, and I had to hunt. I had to hunt for farmer's markets um, in Fort Lauderdale, where I'm staying. It was kind of hard to find because most people are buying their food, it, you know, the two places to get fruits and vegetables that were close by were Target and this giant supermarket chain called Publix. Uh-huh, but I Publix. would have thought, you know, in Florida, the land, the, you know, that like probably the second agricultural producing state in the United States is not the, I think California is the first. I would have thought there'd be like, I was imagining like roadside stands everywhere, yeah. you know? Well, you're in the city though, too. So, you know, I, I think that's but probably... But even on the way, like down 95, Alice, you know, there's none. Yeah. There was no signs of for no. like, you know, Isn't get your fresh sad? tomatoes. Yeah. Well, it was it was kind of surprising. So what James is doing is is really interesting and necessary, mm-hmm. you know? Uh-huh. And and when James and I were talking, we're going through the Fairchild Botanic Garden, he talked a lot about natives. Why don't you tell a little bit about your work with native plants and and how that's changing landscaping here too? Oh yeah, I I would love to, and I just want to say one thing about the tomatoes. <laughs> we, in, in, in Florida, of course, this is the, the season right now, winter, uh, where tomatoes are grown and harvested, and 90% of all the tomatoes grown in South Florida are contracted enough to Burger King. Oh. So, so what you have to understand is that, that they're highly, it's, it's very industrialized agriculture in right. South Florida, and right now there is a movement by many restaurants to go local and yeah. to go organic. And I could tell you, based on experience over the past four years, I could count on my hand the organic farms in South Florida producing organic produce. So they, they cannot, uh, they really cannot meet the need right now. Organic produce is at a severe, uh, is severely limit, limited. And that's why we get so many offers. People are at our door begging for arugula, begging for mustard greens, begging for right. you know uh, organic broccoli. Um, because as you know, even if Whole Foods is out there bringing in organic produce, they're not bringing it in from Florida. They're bringing it in from the cheapest, regions, uh, from yeah. Mexico, the to cheapest price possible, Central America, California. So they're they're they're, right. they're going through the whole organic mill. But South Florida itself has very few organic farms and hopefully it's changing and uh but we are behind the rest of the country in terms of farmers markets in terms of food security programs and in, in, in terms of supporting 
giving tax breaks for uh, organic produce. I mean, on and on and on. So I just right. wanted to mention that. And yes, going back to uh, uh, what, what Carmen talked yeah. about was natives. And one of the things that we're doing, and, and one of the things that I'm really interested in, is bringing back native landscapes into suburban and urban Miami. Yeah. Um, you know, through suburban sprawl and development, we've lost most of our native ecosystems uh-huh. in South Florida, except for the big national park, which is the Everglades. Most of the coastal coastal areas, <clears throat> most of the um, areas around Miami, up to Fort Lauderdale, and up into really Palm Beach, it's 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 all under development, and all the plants coming in are generally uh, exotic. Mm-hmm. So we've lost this major component to you know to our to our ecological system here. So, in, 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 so we're losing not just plants, but we're also losing the animals dependent on them. And my whole idea is also the, you know, we've had experienced uh, severe droughts. So the plants that people have been planting here for suburban landscape are water intensive, they're energy intensive. Uh, there's an exorbitant amount and, and of pesticides that people use to control the pests that these uh, exotic landscapes demand. Right. So my whole idea is to bring back native Florida into suburban landscapes. Mm-hmm. So we have kind of a palette of plants. Uh, we try to replicate the old hammock system. Hammock, of course, is an ecosystem in Florida uh, that the Seminole Indians would refer to. The, ha- the word hammock means cool, shady space. Mm-hmm. So it's a tropical hardwood system of different canopy trees and understory trees and then uh, and then and then ground cover plants and what it really does is it starts to put the building blocks back into uh, Florida's native ecosystem and I think it's a very important approach if you're in Miami you'll see it's extremely hot and uh, there are neighborhoods where there is no tree cover or canopy cover whatsoever. And then there's very wealthy neighborhoods where there's plenty of canopy cover. So what we're looking at really is our focus is on <coughs> areas that are underserved, that uh, contribute to the heat island effect mm-hmm. of a hot tropical urban city. Mm-hmm. But we want to bring it back into a way that, you know, native species that brings back butterflies that are almost extinct, birds that are dependent on these plants for food, and also plants that don't need all the herbicides and pesticides to, to right. control this plant. Alice, you should see um, the spring as we were driving around, and also as I was driving around the northern uh, Fort Lauderdale area, when you see landscapers, they're wearing hazmat suits and gas masks. Good, good view, good vision. Hang on, guys. I mean, we we got to take a break. Hang on. Sure. We'll, we'll be right back. And uh, you're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Dead Stars. This one's called Kill Me in the Summertime on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? 
Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are in Miami today with Carmen, Lucky Duck, and an old friend of ours, James Dryler, um, who is doing a lot of great things down there. James, we were talking about native species and your um, hopeful introduction uh, of them back into the suburban environment. Yeah, how are people reacting to that, James? Are they ready to to give up their their manicured you know, lawns and, and subtropical really decorative stuff like the heliconias and you know other things well once you begin the process of educating people i've had people rejoice when i take out their lawn and they say wow you mean i never have to mow my lawn again right. and i say yeah and you're never going to have to water again and right. then did have a drought two years ago and they were only allowing people to water once a week there was no lawn anyway everyone had brown, dry uh, views out their, their door. Um, and all of a sudden, now they have these beautiful mounding, you know, hills of fountain grass and, you know, and this beautiful cycad called kunti that brings in the Atala butterfly and all these other species. And, and, and it makes them feel that their yard is alive. And mm-hmm. I've had people that just tell me, I go out every day and I just sit there and I just feel the the landscape, and I feel like I'm living in nature. And, and you know, they, they wax eloquently about it. <laughs> Unfortunately, not all their neighbors yeah. <laughs> are beating down my door going, who's your landscape guy? But, uh, in fact, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a lot of perceptions that natives are, you know, native gardens are bringing vermin and dirty. I, here's one story. I had a, a client and uh, built this beautiful native landscape, and she got all excited one day and said, I saw a snake in my front yard. Isn't that great? And I go, yeah, that's really great, until the neighbor saw the snake. And then proceed, Then she calls me up and goes, you can't believe what my neighbor did. He went and bought mothballs. He went online and heard that mothballs deter snakes, and he lined his entire property with mothballs. <laughs> and now... When you go out, when she goes out into her yard, oh. all she gets is the sickening smell of mothballs. But oh. here's the interesting thing. That neighbor has children who are two and three years old running around the yard. Why would he risk, you know, injuring right. his children who are going to pick up a mothball and eat it? Right, right. Because he's right. afraid of a small snake. But this is the <laughs> level of education, yeah. you know. And these are not stupid people. This is a guy that lives in a, you know, a, a million-dollar house. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, re- that's you know, relative. <laughs> exactly. Or, and, 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 you know, another client, of course, uh, uh, 
you know, I'll be working, uh, installing a garden, and, and uh, next door there's a manicured lawn, and all of a sudden a, a, a truck pulls up, and these guys jump out in hazmat suits, and they start, you know, in masks, and they start spraying the lawn, and then they take off their suits and leave, and all of a sudden the minivan comes right after them, and two- and three-year-old kids run out of the minivan and start rolling around on the grass and making all sorts of contact with their body. And, you know, how can you tell the parents, hey, you know, they're rolling in poison. Right. And knowing that the father is a doctor and the mother is a nurse. Yeah. So we have a long ways to go into educating people how these lawns, these landscapes, are energy-intensive, right. demand a lot of water, and, and are breeding poison. Right. It was very interesting that in Coral Gables, which is a wealthy enclave in Miami, there was a they tried to float a bill banning leaf blowers, not because of the noise, but because the leaf blowers stir up residual pesticides and poison and oh. blows it into people's face, houses, cars, and the sediments fly around in the air. So people are, you know, I mean, this is, you're living in a toxic environment right. based on your plants. And, I mean, the whole thing is absurd. So Miami, and, and you know, we are changing. We, when I educate people, there is this sense of <laughs> agreement that things should change. And uh, part of my role as a designer, as a... Uh, an educator is to educate people to make better choices mm-hmm. and smarter choices. Um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, yeah. and slowly uh, maybe there's a, a way to um, prevent. I mean, there's very easy solutions. Uh, in, the, in the 1960s and 70s, everyone planted a ficus hedge, which is from the ficus benjamani. Right, right. Uh, you probably know it. It's a little house plant, but down here it's a giant tree. People <laughs> use it as a hedge, and it's been decimated by a white fly. So everyone who has these hedges, they spray continuously with a very, very toxic pesticide to control the white fly. Mm-hmm. Now, when clients call me, I'll put in a hedge of different native, uh, something right. called a stopper. And these stoppers are understory hammock trees. You can shape them. They grow beautifully. They put out food for birds. They have aromatic smells when they flower. They bring in butterflies. And what's the, what's the plant? And they don't take you know, a lot of water, they don't take fertilizer. What's the botanical name for that, James? Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's several stoppers that are in the uh, Eugenia family, and then there's Eugenius. one stopper that's the Miracanthus, uh-huh. um, which is Simpson stopper. And the reason why they're called stoppers is when the Europeans came to Florida and they, uh, the Indians would give them the berries of the stopper to um, help them with diarrhea. <laughs> stopper. Interesting. Right. So, I maybe should take a cutting stopper. of that um, yeah. just in yeah. case. Yeah, I, you know. You're well, not in Mexico. Uh, your neighbor's that a doctor. You had an opportunity to talk about um, this other program that's in this sort of fledgling phase, right? The Overton Plan redevelopment. Um, James is telling me a little bit about this historically black neighborhood um, from the 1920s, and you're working with a group to redevelop that part of Miami to a green community, right? Uh, yeah, that's basically you, you, you everything into one long phrase. Um, <laughs> but uh, exactly, Overtown is in downtown Miami. It's a neighborhood where, um, during segregation, all the African Americans lived, uh, and 
if you were an entertainer, uh, you would go to the Fountain Blue or Eden Rock on Miami Beach. You would entertain if you were uh, uh, Duke Ellington, Cole Porter, Ella Fitzgerald, Lena Horne, Sammy Davis Jr., uh-huh. but you weren't allowed to sleep on Miami Beach. You had to go back to Overtown. Uh-huh. And then once you got back to Overtown, you would stay at places like the Mary Elizabeth Hotel, and there were jazz clubs and nightclubs, and that's when the real party started. So Overtown was considered to be the, the Broadway of black America. Uh-huh. It was a fantastic, vital, exciting, interesting place. Muhammad Ali, when he was known as Cassius Clay, lived there and trained at Gold's Gym just up the street on 5th Street. Um, Lena Horne was, was born there. Uh, you had, you had African American millionaires who were developers, who were real estate people, who were business owners. It was an amazing community. Um, after segregation, uh, part of the community moved out, but of course, like in many communities, uh, poor communities, the, you know, the, the, the state and the city decided to put all their highways going right through Overtown. So 95 mm-hmm. going north-south went right through Overtown, split the community in half, and then 836 going out to Miami Beach on 195, split it into quarters, you know, so and then they created a series of flyovers as well. So all of a sudden, it became a less desirable place to live. Uh, people started moving out all over, and before you knew it, you had the, the, the riots, race riots in the 1960s, you had burnings in the 1970s, and then through the 80s and 90s, the crack epidemic hit. So if you go to Overtown today, it's a series of maybe uh, uh, several churches, there's the restored Lyric Theater, but generally it's abandoned lots and uh, Section 8 housing, a lot of, you know, right. uh, marginalized people. Uh, the thing about it is Overtown, you can hit the Miami Arena with a rock from Overtown. So you're talking where the, where the Miami Heat play. So you're talking about major downtown development space. Uh-huh. This is a hot area of development. But I'm working with a group of uh, architects, artists, um, uh, designers, and we are trying to create a green community that looks at mixed-use housing, incubator space for artists. Uh, we're looking at trying to put some of the community gardens up on rooftops so that we can grow food on the mm-hmm. roof, mm-hmm. that we can develop water systems that capture water off roots and irrigate our our. our bioretention planters, right. we're going to bring in, I mean, it's, it's a whole concept of, of uh, high-use, low-energy uh, building structures, and it's all pedestrian-friendly. Uh, it brings back the concept of a New York City subway right into the heart of downtown Miami. So we have a number of different projects that we're looking at developing, and it's getting more closer to a reality uh, you know, each year. So I've been at it now for almost uh, two and a half years, and so far we have all the cooperation of the land trusts. We've won uh, some awards uh, from the National Landscape uh, uh, Sustainable Development Association, and we're really looking to see uh, how development can work uh, that that takes into environmental concerns, the history of the place. The people who still live there, and, uh, and, and into a kind of a futuristic. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, urban, and the land uh, is protected, vision. James. Right? It's in, in the land is in trust. Right? The land is in trust, which is pretty remarkable, Alice. Yeah. that that happened. Yeah. You know? Who did that, James? Can you imagine when that happening that? in New York? 
When did that land go into a trust? Because that's pretty forward thinking. Well, it's been in a trust over the last 15 years. I mean, and, and, and nothing has been done, and there's been a lot of anger over uh, some of the inactivity of the presiding nonprofit that was in, that was part of the land. It was really divided between uh, something called the uh, CRA, or the Community Redevelopment Authority, and the Collins Center. And the Collins Center authorized our group to come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And we are a bunch of uh, uh, kind of neophytes who uh, who have a very big vision but little experience, and I think that's why they felt, well, we'll let them do it because we'll get nothing out of that, but at least we can say somebody's doing something. Right. Um, but we actually surprised them, and because we went through the old plans that people have built, and we saw, I saw one plan that made it look like they were going to turn Overtown into a Palm Beach gated community, you know, uh, that, had, that, that was only missing the golf course. And it's like, why would this, <laughs> what is the historical relationship to Overtown with this, you know, yeah. Spanish, uh, relevance, red roof, right. mild, Mediterranean, you know, right. shopping plaza here in the middle of downtown <laughs> Miami. But these are the things, you know, this is what, you know, and you think, well, this is 20, the year 2000, you must get experienced people coming out of school and you know, an architect Vision, firm, yeah. and planning firm, but you know what? They're they're not here. They're not uh, they're not part of this process, uh, except to be extremely harmful in the direction of the city. Right. So, for some reason, we we are moving forward, and uh, and hopefully, hopefully, some of the, this this process will come to pass because well, we want to create a green Miami, and uh, and and that's a new concept. I mean. I go back to New York City. I see what they've done with bike lanes. I see what they did with Times Square. I've seen what they've done to the High Line. Right. You know, and Miami is really 50 years behind New York City in terms of being a progressive uh, uh, city. I mean, we were fighting. We opened up a farmer's market last year in a uh, very repressed, underserved neighborhood, and the city shut us down. Why? They don't understand farmer's markets. They had no provision for licensing of a farmer's market, and spent, we spent a year and a lot of press and a lot of and, and generating a lot of public support for the city to actually get its zoning board to include provisions for farmers markets in downtown Miami. It's like New York in the seventies. Like probably exactly. getting those first farmers markets up in Union Square was probably considered was probably quite a challenge. Right. Oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine, and you know what's so astounding to me, I was being, you know. Being not, not being from here, being here just a short amount of time, you know, the word green, I mean, <laughs> it's like you'd think that what they have here to preserve, you know, what, right. what these urbanites in Miami have right outside their door, Alice, they would do everything to protect, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and to enlarge and to, you know, it's not like New York where there isn't like really any more space, it's not you know not, what I mean, right, like right. Florida's a big state and, and there's a lot of, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of land. And they just keep popping, you know, popping these same, like, shopping malls and developments and, like, you know, just generic stuff everywhere, you know? And I'm standing here right now at the end of this little, I guess, peninsula, and it's it's amazing. Like, you know, I just, it's it's like what James is doing, what other people are doing, they need, there needs to be more support for that. And that's why that was one of the reasons that we... We wanted to have James on the show right. to, to educate people. Maybe there's one or two people listening, you know, that can, you know, well, James, you always to bear. You always paint 
like a big picture and and that's what what yeah. what we miss about you here in New York James <laughs> but it's it's so nice to reconnect with you and and to hear everything you're doing and and you know you always bring such energy and you know you've had such an amazing life and career you know from the foothills of Nepal to, you know, that's a whole other story to, you know, <laughs> Kathmandu to New York City and Avenue A and Rikers Island. And now you're in Miami. And thank you so much for sharing what you're doing. And, and um, you know, let us know how we can help and um, just keep fighting that fight, James. That's always what you do. Yeah, well, I just appreciate you guys having me on the show uh, to be able to talk a little bit about what we're doing down here. And I hope you come down and visit. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe Carmen will bring you next time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> James, let, let me just do a little plug for you, too, because didn't you just do one of the TED Talks? I did. Yeah, tell us about that and where we can find it. And then we're uh, out of well, time. I but. wasn't quite happy with the talk, but oh. I will <laughs> tell you that um, it's... TEDx Coconut Grove. Okay. And if you Google TEDx Coconut Grove uh, or Google my name, uh, you can reach the link to the TED Talk. And the wonderful thing about the TED Talk, though, is I was awarded something called the Hope Prize. And uh, not only did I receive a really beautiful kind of trophy, or uh, <laughs> I guess you could call it, but they also gave me $5,000 to promote my work here in Miami. Great so for you. Highly appreciative of the. Well, I think James. I think that word "hope" yeah. is a is a really good um, word to describe James. Yeah, you know, he's never. You know, he's he's a he's a born New Yorker, right? You were born in New York, James. I am a born New Yorker. Yeah, but you know, you never. Um, you're probably one of the most upbeat Alice? people I've ever met. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Okay. We have kind of a bad connection. All right. Well, our time is up anyways. But, James, I just wanted to say thank you for your optimism and for all the work you do. And um, we miss you here in New York, but it's good to reconnect with you. And, Carmen, thanks for calling in and sharing your lovely vision with us today. (laughs) I'll be posting some photos of different weird plants from the Fairchild Botanic Garden, which is also an amazing place, Alice, to visit. Every single person that comes to the Miami area, even just anywhere south Florida, must see this. Uh, James told me it's the largest tropical botanic garden in the yes. world. And, what, and it is spectacular. And, and one other parting horticulture question. What was that um, fruit that you named earlier, James? Um, the superfood. Oh, it's not a fruit. It's, it's called moringa. Moringa. Moringa is going to be the savior of, of, third, of the third world, uh, where you have immense food shortages. It grows everywhere. Uh, you can eat the leaves. Uh, you can eat the stems. You can eat the roots. But the leaves have 96 proteins and 46 enzymes in them. And whenever you see, like, these uh, whole food mixed green powders that give you super energy, super food, super everything, look for one of the ingredients. You'll see it's moringa. So we should moringa invest in that. new food, and it grows <laughs> really well everywhere, and it grows fast. Okay, so there, there we just got a stock tip from James Tyler, which actually was his first job. Okay, we have to go. Thanks, everybody, okay. for listening. You've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. James Tyler was our guest. Thanks um, to him, and... Thank you to Joe G for engineering and Jack Inslee for producing. And uh, we'll see you in the garden. Thanks so much.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.